Becky's working retail, as she does, and particularly at this time of the year, it's not unusual for her to come home and say something like this to me. <clears throat> she will say, you will never guess who I saw today. I'll go, okay, who? And she'll say, come on, take a guess. And I go, out of everyone on the planet, you want me to take a guess? And she goes, yes, and we've not seen them in about 30 years. Oh, well, that makes it easy. Yeah. So she'll try to get me to guess whoever it was that came in where she was. And, and you know, I usually say, could I get a hint? Could I get a clue? Whatever. And I'm sure all of you who are, on, who are on Facebook have had the experience of having someone reappear in your life as part of what Facebook seems to be doing, or make a friend request from someone that you've not seen or that you have not heard from or maybe not even thought of in years, and yet here they are, and it's entirely possible that you have deliberately kept your distance from that person, <clears throat> and now they want to be your friend on Facebook. Do I accept them? Do I, you know... And sometimes your response might be this, based upon the past of whatever happened or whatever you knew about them, you might want to go, They're, are you kidding me? They're contacting me? Of all people. Well, there's a similar situation that takes place that if you're not careful, you'll miss it when you're reading the end of the book of Philippians. It's actually the four, little four chapters at the end of the fourth chapter. There's something that takes place, and I, um, I ran across it, and I find that there's an interesting subtlety in there, and I want to put a spotlight on it today. It's where the church at Philippi, they've received this letter from the Apostle Paul, and they find themselves hearing from some people that they were never expecting to hear from. In fact, I have to believe I can, you know, visualize it in my mind as the letter's being read to them, that they were, they were shocked um, when they got to this part of the letter. And it, it comes from a place that the, 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 the greeting they get from the, the last place that they ever thought a Christian brother or a Christian sister would ever be saying hello to them. That's where this comes from. It's found at the end of the book of Philippians, last chapter, chapter 4, and there's this little clue that comes right at a place, like I said, where most of us would skip right over it in our reading because it's possible that when you're reading the Pauline epistles and you come to the end where Paul is giving all of his greetings, you, you kind of get there and you got, okay, um, uh, this is the sort of the gratuitous stuff. I know it, this, is, this is not where I'm going to get a rhema word here um, at the very, very end. And we kind of think we're past the meat of the book. And, and so we're reading and this person greets you and there's yada, 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 yada. And all this, these people are greeting. But when this caught my attention, I got this interesting visual in, in, in my mind uh, that might have happened at this moment. So let, 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 me, let me read it to you, and then I'll put it in context. It's Philippians chapter 4, verses 21 and 22. The church has gathered around because they have received this letter from Paul, and someone, we're not sure who, has been uh, designated or given the assignment of reading it out loud to them. And they come to the end of this letter... And Paul says this, Philippians 4, verse 21, he says, Give my greetings to each of God's holy people, all who belong to Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you their greetings, okay? And all the rest of God's people send you greetings too, and here it is, especially those in Caesar's household. 
I can almost see this moment happening in the room. They're coming to the letter, and they're getting, okay, it's the greetings, and so let's get our stuff to The ladies are getting their purses together, and, you know, you're kind of, okay. You're shifting your position because you've been intently listening to every word Paul has to say, but he's come to the greet. Well, this person greets you. Okay, yeah. So there's almost a release that you can see even in their, in their, in their body language. And then he says, especially greetings from Caesar's household. I can almost see them doing a double take. What? What? Did I hear that right? Are you kidding? That can't, did you hear what he That can't be right. Did, did we mishear him? You're saying that there are people in Caesar's palace who are Christians who are greeting us in the name of the Lord. Is that what you're saying? That can't possibly be true. You know, and kind of like you and me, they've, they've read the whole letter and come to the, the end where he starts all the greetings and, and then there's this release that happens. And at, that, at a moment they didn't expect from people they didn't expect, here comes this Christian greeting. Paul has been in Rome, and, and, and so he's saying to them, all the saints here greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. It's the very place where you think no one would ever be saved, or that even anything remotely Christian would be happening near the place. And now people from there are sending the church at Philippi a Christian greeting. That's my brother Colin. Bless you, Colin. I love you, brother. <clears throat> it's the very place where you think no one would ever be saved. And now they're getting this greeting. How could a, here's the question, how could a Christian show up or exist in the most secure fortress in the world in the most anti-Christian place possible? Well, here's what I want to remind us, and it's already been said today. If you want to know the truth, my sermon has already been preached today. That doesn't mean I'm not going to preach it, but it's already been preached today. Here's the truth. There is no place or no thing that can keep the gospel of Jesus out or keep it from penetrating. You don't believe that, do you? Nothing can stop. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Nothing can stop the gospel. That's why we send these OCC boxes. That's why we're doing that. We're asking, Lord, let the gospel, she, Natalie prayed it, let the love of Jesus be carried inside these boxes so that whenever that lands on this planet, when it, when it opens up, there's an explosion, was the word she used, of God's love. Nothing can stop the gospel from going forward. Come on, church, put your hands together and bless the Lord for that today. <laughs> Nothing can stop the gospel. That's why the choir sings, reach every mountaintop, search every valley low. There's no place you cannot go, Spirit of God. The good news of Jesus, church, can penetrate through communism. It can find its way in Buddhist nations, in Muslim nations, in Hindu nations. And you know what? It can even penetrate the hardest heart in the city of Fort Worth, Texas. It's just very critical that we as believers in Christ in this American country of ours are faithful to share the gospel with the part of the world to which God has called us. And I say that to say, <clears throat> that's why I'm so glad Arthur sang what he sang today. 
Don't stop sharing the gospel. It's a simple, simple message. But as believers in Jesus, don't stop sharing the gospel. You tell me, what is more important than you making sure that those with whom you come in contact know that Christ came, he died, he rose again to save them and give them eternal life? What have you got to talk about that's more important than that? This past Wednesday night, all the activities here, <coughs> excuse me, were uh, over. It was, it was a little, maybe about 9 o'clock, I guess, and I was making my way out toward my car. <coughs> Gerard was walking with me. We're standing outside. We're kind of still carrying on our conversation. It was cold, so we weren't going to stand there too long. And uh, I'm facing the north. Gerard's facing the south. <coughs> all of a sudden, he says, um, look. I turn around looking, coming from the south, walking across the yard toward us was someone who was carrying a backpack, small, a man small in stature, and uh, obviously he was just out roaming. It's not unusual that we see that here. We see it from time to time. And, but uh, So we began just saying, hey, buddy, how are you? Gave us his name. Where's he from? Tried to find out some basics of his circumstance and why is he out roaming the street. And he had a story to tell that, you know, frankly was pretty believable. They're, they aren't always but that was pretty believable. And so I uh, began realizing that, um, uh, <clears throat> that we needed to help him in some way. And there was a particular tug on my heart in this, situ- in this situation. And so I gave him some money and uh, that he could get some food. And I was making uh, think, for, figuring out what other arrangements I could make for him you know, to help him. And so I said I was going to take him to a certain place. I didn't ask Gerard. I just said, and Gerard will be going... Uh, with us. He's going to go with me, and we're going to, because here's the deal. I don't know what's in that backpack, okay? And I'm thinking this. First of all, like I said, it was a man small in stature, and I thought I could take him if I had to, you know. I may look old and decrepit, but don't ever forget the fire is still shut up in these bones. <clears throat> and then I had this thought right after, right after that. I thought, just in case anything weird happens, if Gerard's with me, all he has to do is haul off and sing one of those high, unbelievable riffs, and the guy will run and flee in fear if that happens. Gerard, you'll be going with me. So he did. And uh, I came around and asked him, I said, hey, Luis, do you know Jesus? And I'm going to tell you what I did. As quickly as I could, I shared the gospel with him. I said, you need to know Jesus. And I said, and, and I, I said, here's why. I gave him the why. He came, he died. He did it for you. He loves you. He gave his life on the cross for you. And I said, let me tell you, knowing Jesus is the only way to live, and it's surely the only way to die for sure. Now, can I stand here and tell you that I forced him through um, a sinner's prayer in any way, and I, I, I use that, I say that carefully. No, I didn't do that. I planted every seed I possibly could. And the biggest thing we probably did, not only sharing the gospel, but we, we tried to, to feed him and to try to help him and get him out of the cold for the night. And here's the point. At the end of the story, it's this. Don't ever stop sharing the gospel. You would probably be shocked to find out how many opportunities that you miss in the course of a day to do that. This one happened to walk right up to me and Gerard. 
But we are never, 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 never to stop sharing the gospel of Jesus. Because here's the truth, and I, sometimes I wonder, what is it that stops us from sharing it more? But the truth is, the gospel can go into any country, it can go across any border, it can even go into any public school, hello. And I don't care what any government says, the gospel of Jesus is for the world, and nothing can stop it, for who can stop the Lord Almighty? Well, that's exactly what we see revealed to us in this little obscure phrase at the end of the book of Philippians. And I'm going to unpack it for you as quickly as I can. That in this fiercely anti-Christian society in the first century, we know that the emperor is Nero. And if you know anything about Nero, you know that he was known to be one of the worst persecutors of Christians. He, his persecution began when he literally burned down 70% of Rome, all because he wanted to rebuild it in his image. He burned 70% but never took responsibility. In fact, uh, if you do any research on it, you find out he fiddled, played on a fiddle while the city burned to the ground, is what historians will tell us. And when the uprising came about all that, he thought the greatest thing he could do to cover himself was to blame it on the Christians, and that's exactly what he did. And in so doing, he took what was at that moment in time hostility that was already vibrantly active against Christians, and he just increased the ire against Christians exponentially. So the persecution against Christians intensified, and, and, and here's, this is not going to be comfortable to tell you. But here's what the historians tell us. Besides being put to death, Christians put to death, these Christians were forced to serve as objects of amusement. They were clothed in the hides of beasts and animals, pulling out all the innards of a beast or a wild animal and putting the Christian inside the hide, sewing it up, and then allow other wild animals to come and savage it. Other Christians were crucified. Still others were impaled upon a pole and set on fire just to light up Nero's garden every night. Those were his lanterns, Christians burning on a pole. The Christians were the objects of the disdain of that society. Nero has his leaders killing Christians and he has the city hating them. But the amazing thing is that the gospel of Jesus could not be stopped even in that environment. So now, having told you all of that, doesn't it begin to make more sense why the Philippians were shocked when at the end of Paul's letter to them, he received a Christian greeting. They received Christian greetings from those in Caesar's household. But here's what we know. We know that... Right under Caesar's nose and in his very own house, his own staff starts coming to Jesus. So you, you thought your situation was bad. You thought your family was impossible to share the gospel with. You thought your workplace could never embrace Christianity. So the obvious question here is this. With that kind of environment, that kind of disdain for Christianity and Christians... How did people get saved in Caesar's household? How did those people come to faith in Christ? 
And here's where I come to the main point of my message. And it's where I think we can all learn something if you'll listen to me for just a few more minutes. And I think we can see how God can use you and use me. I want to connect this closing verse that I've just referenced in Philippians about the greeting from Caesar's household to another verse in Philippians, if you'll follow me carefully, because I think it will be life-giving to us. But just before I do that, I have to lay some groundwork for it. So stay with me here. Please stay with me. As you well know, I was raised in the church. How many of you were raised in the church? Raise your hand. Let me see. Uh, I know many of you were. I have been through mimeograph machines, folding machines, fax machines, postage machines. You young people have no idea what I'm talking about. Carbon paper, liquid whiteouts, manual typewriters, IBM selective typewriters, word processors. Karen Maddox was the first one I ever watched use one. Telephones that cranked, telephones that dialed, and every other tool we used in the church. And then as we got fancier and fancier with all of our communications, we reached a point several decades ago where every church had to have their own logo, okay? You were really cool, your church was cool when you got your own logo and you put it on your letterhead where you typed a real letter, put on real postage, put it in a real mailbox, and a real postman delivered it to your real mailbox. Now those were the days, right? But you were cool if, you had, if your church had its own logo. And most often, here's what you would see. You would see churches using a globe uh, or a dove, possibly looking like it was ascending and, or descending. Uh, many would use a ball of fire. <clears throat> and many had the image of links of a chain that had been broken or snapping apart. Particularly, um, deliverance ministries were the ones you would often see that because it was so obvious the statement that it was making. And we would look at it and say, yes, it's a wonderful thing. Jesus breaks chains of bondage. <clears throat> but here's what I need to say that I think might get your attention. As much as I love to hear the church sing, break every chain, and I walked into this service through that door a while ago thinking, I hope the one song they don't sing today is break every chain, because I don't want it to be misunderstood. Here's what I need you to hear carefully. I think there's a couple of types of chains, and I'm going to show you from the Word this morning this, not Every chain may need to be broken. Now, you wonder what on earth I'm talking about. Because when we think of chains, we think of addiction. And man, I am right with you. God breaks every chain of addiction. We all need that chains of addiction that's dragging us down. We need those to be broken. And we'll continue to sing that song, believing that God will break every chain. That's what we're thinking. But sometimes, listen to me carefully, sometimes there may be a chain not dealing with addiction that does not need to be broken. Such is the example we have here in the book of Philippians. It is not a chain of bondage. Rather, we have a situation to which the Apostle Paul is chained. Go with me now. Don't breathe yet. Go with me now to the first chapter of Philippians, and let me read to you what Paul says about his time in Rome, and then let's see this unique situation of his change. Philippians 1, I'm at, I'm at verse 12. 
And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here, referencing his imprisonment, has helped to share the gospel, has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, or because of my chains, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. What he's saying here is very simple. He's saying that his chains, the Apostle Paul is telling us, that his chains have given him a voice to a group of people who otherwise would have never heard the message of the gospel. Have I not already told you what it was like there? His chains have given him a voice to those people. And so instead of complaining about his chains, Paul is saying, so I thank God for the beauty of these chains that have opened up the way for me to share the gospel. That's what he's saying. Beautiful chains? He would have never gotten into the palace unless God had put him in prison. And now he's sharing with the guards every single day, and it's infiltrating even the whole household of Caesar. No one would have chosen this evangelism plan. I have been to no conference that taught me to do evangelism that way. But God, in his incredible sovereignty, designed it his own unique way. So what, Dan, do you exactly mean when you're talking about chained? Well, let's take this word chained and put it in its rightful context from this passage of Scripture. It is not simply a bondage, but rather it's a place in which you have found yourself that though you would rather get out of it, you have to stay. It's a place where you may feel like you are stuck. How many of you have ever, don't, never mind, don't raise your hand, but how many of you have ever felt like you were stuck before? It's a place where you are almost screaming, I want out. I want out. I just want out. I'm chained to this desk. I'm chained to this contract, this situation. I'm chained to this man. Don't look around. I'm chained to this woman. I said, don't look. I'm chained to this city. I am stuck here. But listen to me carefully this morning. God can use any place that you may feel stuck for His glory. God can make the chains worthwhile when they are His beautiful chains. And though your script may have changed, you need to realize that God is the master of editing scripts. Can somebody say hallelujah to that? You may be chained to a campus, chained to a degree, chained to a family, chained to a a, a health situation. You may be chained to a country trying to get proper papers. But precious people, listen to me carefully. There just are times in your life where there is a chain to which God may keep you shackled for a grander purpose. And that grander purpose is greater than your own personal comfort. What you thought was a misstep, God says, no, 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 no. 
I've just edited your script. God was essentially saying to Paul, you know, Paul, if I can put you in chains, I can get the gospel into Caesar's household, that wretched place. If you read through Romans, you'll see that Paul had all these grand plans. It's all there in Romans that he thought he would show up in Rome as a, as a preacher, having no idea that he would show up in Rome as a prisoner. Had no idea he would go through shipwreck, be on a deserted island before he even got to Rome. But God takes something that seems to be so out of the way, something that is so inconvenient, something that is so uncomfortable, and God then looks at that and says, wow, that's the perfect plan for what I'm really trying to do. God says, you may feel chained, you may feel stuck right now, but I, the Lord, can take the circumstances of those chains and still bring glory out of the entire situation. Listen carefully. God sees you, church, right where you are, even in the mess you are in today, in the circumstances that are way less than perfect in your life. And how many in the room, yes, raise your hand, have less than perfect circumstances going on right now in your life? The rest of you may leave. Listen carefully. You may think it's a chain, but God sees it as an amazing opportunity. For the chain that God has you in, listen to me, it has redeeming value in it. Let me read the text one more time, only this time I want you to listen as if he is speaking directly to you. Philippians 1. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, because of my chains, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Who is he talking about? He's talking about the people of the household of Caesar. They are proclaiming the gospel in a community, in a place, and in a palace where they would normally have fear to do so because of the indifference and the resistance to the gospel. But the brothers and sisters now in that palace are saying, you know what? If you can do it, then I can do it. Thank God he has put us here. And don't miss what Paul says when he says, and it is because, it is because of my chains. It was God's plan to get into the Roman palace. Even the Praetorian guard would get saved this way. And know this, when Paul was put in these chains, Nero didn't want anything to go wrong. He wanted to be sure that his plan of keeping Paul in prison didn't get messed up. He didn't want to lose Paul. So you know what he did? He commanded that every six hours, the finest young men from the whole of the Roman Empire, from the elite forces, from Nero's personal bodyguards, would be brought in and chained to Paul at six-hour intervals. Get a visual of this. For six hours, you've got to be chained to the Apostle Paul. I got a question for you. Do you think they were talking about the Dallas Cowboys? You think they were talking about the Texas Rangers? What about the Dallas Mavericks? Who do you think they were talking about? And every time they talk about Jesus, I can see them in these chains. 
And here's what we can know about it. What looked like it should have been a completely messed up situation, a situation that wasn't following the plan or the script, turned out to be the plan because it got them to Jesus. And then, and Natalie prayed it this morning in a prayer. I told you she preached my sermon. And then they took that same gospel and they shared it with others. And then they shared it with others. And so on and so on and so on. Because the gospel cannot be stopped. It will penetrate this entire world. Therefore, church, let me say this to you. Dignify your trial. Sanctify your chains. Don't look at it by simply saying, I'm stuck and I can't go anywhere. Just maybe. God is saying to you right in the middle of your stuckness. It's not a word, but I just made it up. God may be saying this to you. Dignify this moment in your life. Sanctify this moment in your life unto me and watch what I will do. You might be saying, so Pastor Dan, how, um, how exactly do you do that? How do you dignify the trial or sanctify the chain? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me give you one example. Let's take a biblical situation where a Christian wife is chained to an unsaved husband. It's not only a very real problem in the first century, it's a problem in 2017. Maybe you got married when both of you were sinners and the wife gets saved and he doesn't, or you were both Christians when you got married, but the husband has walked away from the faith. And you're wondering... What do I do in this situation? I know what it is to have a husband in my office who's walked away from the faith saying these very words to me. Pastor, I'm just not even sure I even love her anymore. And here's this pastor's response. Well then, guess what? If that's true, you lose on all accounts. What do you mean, pastor? Well, the Bible says that husbands are supposed to love their wives. Well, I, I don't know if I still love her. Okay, I say, just, just don't give me that old line, well, I love her, I'm just not in love with her. That is nonsense. Listen to me. Listen to me. God would never give you a command that you cannot keep. And here's the part that you don't seem to understand, big boy. Love is not a feeling first. Love is a decision first. You didn't hear me. Love is not a feeling first. It is a decision first. You have to decide to love. Well, I just, you know, I just don't see her as my spouse anymore. That's okay. Do you see her as a person? Yeah. Well, the Bible says love your neighbor. So you're saying, you're really saying, I have to love her? There's some days, Pastor, I think I hate her. Okay, you still lose, buddy, because the Bible says you're to love your enemies. So on every level of this, you lose. You've got to love her. 
It doesn't matter. Love your wife, love your neighbor, love your enemy. It is the command of Jesus, and it can be kept by the power of Jesus. So now listen to this. In the early church, the women were getting saved faster than the men. When Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, Paul now wrote 1 Corinthians, that letter was answering questions that they were obviously asking. So when you read Corinthians, Paul will often say stuff like this. He'll say, um, <clears throat> he'll say uh, so in regard to your question, and what you have to do as the reader is to figure out what they might have been asking or what the question was. It's kind of like Jeopardy. You know, you're given the answer, but you've got to figure out the question. Nobody here has ever watched Jeopardy before? So in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul literally starts it out by saying, now regarding the questions you asked in your letter, and if you're figuring out the question, it appears to be women asking, we feel that we are chained to these ungodly, wretched, unsaved men that are our husbands. Can we divorce them? Well, here's how Paul answers that in 1 Corinthians 7. If a Christian man has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to continue continue living with him, he must not leave her. And if a Christian woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. For the Christian wife brings holiness, some versions say sanctification, to her marriage. And the Christian husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not be holy, but now they are holy. So don't tell me this doesn't affect the kids. Paul says it right here, verse 14. But if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let him go. In such cases, the Christian husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. And then he directly addresses this issue of our topic this morning, the chains. Verse 16, don't you wives realize that your husbands might be saved because of you? And don't you husbands realize that your wives, your wives might be saved because of you? His response was abundantly clear. You may feel like you are in chains to this marriage, but you may be the person who brings the gospel right to them. Paul says this may be one of those beautiful chains that holds you in a situation for the purposes of sharing the gospel. Not one amen. Just know, don't get upset with me. Get upset with Paul. So how do you do that, Dan? Well, I'm going to close in a minute. It's actually Peter who gives us that answer. Paul says, stay even though you feel like it's a chain. Peter says, and this is how I want you to behave. Speaking of Jesus in 1 Peter 2, Peter says in verse 21, for God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate. This is the how. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of 
God who always judges fairly. So what does that mean to you and me? First Peter 3, now. In the same way, you wives must be to your own husbands. There's something wrong with my microphone, Cliff. In the same way, you wives must to your own husbands. Somebody's got to say it out loud. The wives need to be submissive to their husbands. So that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one. How? Without a word, but by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste or pure and respectful behavior. Oh, my goodness. I am feeling the love from you right now. (laughs) Ladies, Peter is saying to you, precious one, I added that part, your behavior is more important than your words. There comes, I've already gotten on the men, maybe not hard enough for you, but I did that. There comes a point where you need to become quiet and just show Jesus by your lifestyle. Some of you know how to talk and you want to talk. But guess what? Your husband, he knows you're saved. You don't have to tell him you're saved. You just need to be sure that every time you pray for the meal, it doesn't go something like this. Lord, thank you for this food. God, I thank you for everyone around this table, even the reprobate who doesn't know you, going to hell doesn't know Jesus. So God, as he eats this food, don't let him die. Don't let him die and perish in the burning fires of the second lake that burns with brimstone. In Jesus' name, amen. Pass the chicken. No. Peter was saying, wives, they don't need to hear you. They need to see you living it out. They know you're saved. They want to see that you're saved. Peter says, you may feel like you're in chain in this situation, but what I'm asking you to do is to know that you can win those who are disobedient to the word without saying a word. And God will give you the grace and the strength to do it. So back to Philippians 4 where I started. Paul gives us the secret on how to do all of this. Philippians 4, verse 11. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. You know what, church, for many of us today, the issue is not fixing your circumstance. The issue is finding contentment in it. This is one of those really popular sermons, really popular. Verse 12, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything, but I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. And Paul says, and here's the secret. For I can do all things 
through Christ who gives me strength. Now hear me. Some people misappropriate this verse. They love the all things part. I can do all things. Can you fly on your own? Can you play quarterback for the Cowboys? That's all things, right? They don't put the proper emphasis on the next two words. I can do all things. What's the next two words? I can't hear you. I can do all things through Christ, for He is the filter through which you have to consider all things. You can do all things that Christ has called you to do, and I've just given some of, you, some of them to you here this morning. Because of His strength, you can live out His will, His plans, His purposes for your life, and do it for the glory of the name of Jesus. And it doesn't matter what your location is. It doesn't even really matter what your circumstances are. Here's what you need to whisper in the quiet of your heart today. Pastor Brent, come. God, whatever circumstance I'm in today, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So what is your circumstance today? And to what do you feel chained? I'm here to tell you, whatever it is, Whatever it is, God can use it for His glory. You may have walked into this place this morning carrying those chains and you heard them clanking all the way to the pew that you're now sitting in. I want you to know this, God can still use you. The question is this, and this is the big question. Listen, listen, I'm really closing. Listen, will we be a people who will say, God, use these chains for your glory? And also... God, give me a passion for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus. I am so concerned that the American church has become blasé about sharing the gospel of Jesus. As long as I've got my fire insurance in place, as long as this, me and mine, I'm good. What, what is it that holds us back from sharing the gospel of Jesus and making it our primary goal and aim in life? Bow your heads with me for just a moment. Because I want to ask you this. I'm going to close the service quickly. But if you are here today and you feel like you are stuck in something, but you know that today you need to dignify your chains or sanctify your chains, maybe you've been saying, God, I've been complaining about these chains, but if you want to use them, then I'm yours to command where you lead me. If that's you, I want you to simply stand quickly to your feet. Who is that today? Stand quickly to your feet. God, today I want to dignify the chains. Stand to your feet. Balcony, lower floor. I'll give you a moment. Because all we're going to do, we're just going to pray. We're going to believe that God is going to use those chains for His purpose and give you grace. Father, we just ask today that Your Word will go deep into our hearts. We are so thankful that there are chains to be broken. They're the chains of addiction, chains of bondage, chains that the enemy has somehow managed to ensnare us. But Lord, because of what we've seen in your word today, we also know that there are beautiful chains, chains that you have us in situations that we feel constricted, bound to, 
no way out. But Lord, I'm asking today that you will give us the grace to dignify those chains today, to sanctify those chains today, and ultimately to see how beautiful those chains are if your purposes and your will and your plan is accomplished. And Lord, let us never, never, never lose the fire and passion for sharing the gospel of Jesus. For it is the power unto salvation to everyone that believeth. So Lord, for this today, all we can do is fall upon you and call upon you and ask for your grace to be upon us to do this according to your way and to your will, knowing that as we humble our hearts before you, you will give the strength and the grace that we need. And we say it in the mighty name of Jesus. And the church said, amen. Everyone standing, please. Jesus, Jesus, how I, how I proved Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus. To trust. Come on, one more time. Lift it up in this house. Jesus, Jesus. How I trust Him. How I approve. Him or and or Jesus, Jesus. To trust Him more, oh, for grace. <coughs> to trust Him more, oh, for grace. To trust Him more. Don't you ever stop singing, break every chain. Because there are chains that need to be broken. Can I get an amen to that? And thank God He can break those chains. But we need to know the difference between those chains and the ones that, the beautiful chains that are, out, that are of the Lord. He has placed us in for His purposes and His glory. Folks, it's all about living for Jesus. It's all about living to His, according to His plan and His will and His purpose. And we can't just assume we've got it all figured out. None of us can. And I hope if we've heard anything today, we've heard it is so important that we never stop sharing the gospel. Why don't you just in the quiet of your heart this week say, Lord, put someone right in my path and make it for me blatantly obvious that I need to just share the simple gospel. Jesus came. He died for our sins. He rose again conquering death. And not only do we have an eternal home in heaven, but we have eternal life with Him right now, a life more abundantly, more than we could ever possibly imagine. That's the simple, simple version of the gospel. Can you say amen to that today?